Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at MarksDailyApple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at PrimalBlueprint.com. Hey, listeners, it's been a while since we did a Q&A show, and I've been compiling some interesting notes, comments, questions, topics to discuss, and I think we're going to have some fun here. Yeah, if you want to participate or share, why don't you send me an email directly, brad at bradkerns.com. There's a bunch of primal addresses that you can use, you can find on the website, but... Uh, we'll jump all over your question and tee it up for future shows, brad at bradkerns.com. And this is my page of tidbits to discuss and drill down into and get some clarity and focus and some excitement and energy. Oh, yeah. You know what the first part is? Uh, the pros and cons, or the first item, pros and cons of an intuitive approach to eating. And someone pointed out the um, the commentary in the chapter of Two Meals a Day, where we talk about the different strategies. There's the popular 16 and 8 strategy, fasting for 16 hours, eating inside an 8-hour window. There's the morning-evening strategy if you have a busy day and you can't sit down in the middle of the day to have a nice, relaxing, low-stress environment meal. Maybe you can enjoy a big breakfast and then head off, do your thing, and then a dinner, and then you're in the two meals a day rhythm as well. Uh, but then we also talk about an intuitive approach, which in many ways could be the highest expression of an evolved approach to eating, which is you're really not attached or obsessed with any precise protocol except for going with the flow and honoring your intuition, honoring your natural signals of hunger and satiety. Now, there are some pros and cons, as the uh, the reader pointed out, because if you don't have any rules and guidelines and restrictions in place, you're going to fall prey or you can fall prey to the many temptations and constant access that we have to food today and the cultural traditions of buying a popcorn when you go to the movies or, you know, locking into this pattern where we expect to have a meal in the morning, we expect to break in midday for another meal, and then of course sit down to the main meal of the day at dinner time. And that's uh, going to be something that you might have to second guess with this highly evolved intuitive approach where, hey, maybe one night you're not hungry, you skip dinner, you're doing something else, you're busy, uh, you're skipping meals here and there, but they're more in a flowing intuitive pattern rather than we can count on this person to be a hardcore 16-8 no matter what. And as you can imagine, when you're really locked in and attached to certain eating strategies, it can easily become unhealthily, easily become unhealthily attached. We have this concept called orthorexia that's being, uh, getting more attention and more mention these days. And that's with, that's an unnatural and unhealthy fixation on, uh, eating correctly at all times. So, uh, here is a, uh, an excerpt from the book that we'll uh, reflect on further. I think this is a really important topic because I'm wrestling with this myself and I've uh, talked on the show about how I had to, um, 
drop some excess body fat because I got carried away with my evening popcorn habit and my fascination and fondness for dark chocolate. And with no rules and guidelines in place, I one day woke up and I was like, oh my goodness, okay, I got some extra body fat on me. That's a new one. And I had to kind of drill down and, and realize and focus on uh, the different aspects that contributed to that. And one of them was kind of an open calendar to eat whenever I wanted. Uh, and also enjoy uh, indulgences that are not particularly primal or keto. And so, boy, once you want to turn the corner and get a little more uh, disciplined or make a change in your body composition, you have to put some rules and guidelines in place. And one of them that worked really well for me, uh, temporarily, uh, but for the most part, it's... Um, it's a lifestyle. It's just not a hard and fast rule, but not eating uh, right away and waiting until I experience true sensations of hunger to have my first meal. So that might come at uh, noon. It might come at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, some days, and it might come at 2.30 because I'm super busy doing something else. Uh, but that's a nice one to put into place to say, um, you know, for a while, I'm going to try this 16 and 8 pattern and see how it goes for me and thereby, you know, lock into something that you can be accountable to yourself. Uh, similarly, if you want to, you know, go on a period of time where you're choosing out of, uh, refined sugars, grains and industrial seed oils, that's going to be a wonderful lifestyle decision. And you can be as strict as possible on that. And the occasions where you depart are going to be true departures, indulgences, celebratory patterns. Uh, but what I described about my popcorn scene was, uh, it started out as a celebratory event. I'm making the popcorn, the family's around. I'm drizzling it with my special concoction of melted butter and a little bit of lemon flavored olive oil. And boy, isn't it delicious and fun to do that. And then if you're doing it the next night and then the next night and then the next night, you start to expect it or you start to associate it with evening relaxation period, that's when it turns the corner from being a celebratory indulgence to being something that you're eating too much of and, of course, offering minimal nutritional value and maybe not the best thing to stuff your face on uh, in the hours before bedtime. Uh, so here we go with the excerpt. I want you to enjoy your life. Enjoy that omelet that Cousin Babby prepared for you at 10 a.m. when she was visiting, even if you're on that 16 and 8 plan. Enjoy your occasional departures from the winning template. Uh, but that's different than using hall passes left and right to depart from what are known to be best practices or things that you believe in. So I've said sugars, grains, and industrial seed oils, uh, we do not want those leaking in uh, at a steady rate because they have so many addictive properties and so many health destructive properties. So it's nice to put a stake in the ground at times and, you know, declare yourself to be uh, someone who doesn't consume nutrient deficient, heavily processed modern foods. And if I catch you uh, on your kid's birthday at Chuck E. Cheese, having a couple bites of uh, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the warm bread that's served on the table, that's not going to define your character, but it's definitely you have hard and fast rules in places. Now, if you feel like you need the safety net of adhering to a 16-8 window or setting a limit with your carbohydrate intake to 50 grams a day, as is popular with the, the keto movement, or set a rule that you don't purchase ice cream and it's not allowed into your house, that can be very effective. That can be understandable. It can be a healthy approach to uh, improving your dietary habits, but you don't want to get uh, attached to that in an unhealthy way. Uh, strict parameters are also warranted when you're trying to ditch carb dependency, reduce excess body fat, or achieve specific athletic goals. 
I implement a variety of guidelines, incentives, and rewards to keep me honest with my eating choices. And also in other areas, like helping me resist the distraction of YouTube videos during the workday or an inclination to slack off on the final sets of a workout. However, I also know how to relax, unwind, unplug, and embrace the times when my intuition guides me in a different direction than strictly pursuing peak efficiency every day in every way. Been there and done that as an extreme athlete, getting somewhat addicted to the instant gratification, attention, notoriety, and success that comes from pushing your body super hard and striving for competitive goals. So uh, back to the book, I believe the secret to optimizing your caloric intake and meal patterns is your incredibly sensitive and finely tuned genetic signaling for appetite and satiety. You really can't go wrong when you relax, put the food scales and calculators away, detach from any emotional, cultural, or environmental triggers for eating and overeating, and allow your long-lost appetite and satiety signaling to return to center stage. You get to appreciate food as nourishment for a healthy, fit, energetic life instead of another example of modern-day excess. A beautiful balance point is achieved when you're hungry enough for nearly every meal you sit down to and you eat just enough to feel satisfied instead of full. You don't want to feel full of food as well as full of regret for overdoing it and spoiling the experience. And uh, we talk about in the book, you can strive for the same balance point everywhere with your sex life, your workout patterns, your Netflix viewing, and even your standard of living as that interesting research uh, highlighting the Scandinavian countries that have the reported highest uh, life satisfaction scores. I believe Iceland was in there, uh, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark. Uh, they, they report a happier population than some of the other industrialized nations. And one of the attributes that researchers point to as a, uh, a proponent or a catalyst for lifestyle satisfaction in those areas is income equality. Interesting. And the research says that once we uh, achieve a certain basic threshold to where our needs met and we have some comfort, we're not sweating every single uh, expenditure or you know having to budget on things that are uh, health promoting, uh, once we get above that threshold, and it's quite a low threshold, uh, I believe um, one of the articles was talking about there's there's something like $70,000 a year income, uh, and then you're getting a decent place to live. You can buy all the food you want. You even have some uh, indulgences, hobbies, vacations, and anything over that uh, in many ways causes more headaches, more complexity, and not a huge increase in happiness if you were to add X amount to your income. Um, that's easily argued. I think a lot of people listening are like, you kidding me? <laughs> I'm already stressing and I make twice that or whatever, uh, whatever your gut reaction comes through. Uh, and I understand that as a, um, uh, you know, someone who's uh, trying to uh, make it work, raise a family, have all these pressures, open up your online billing and everything that we're doing digitally. And uh, boy, it's pretty easy to stress and uh, wish for more as a solution to all your problems. But I think it's really worth um, reflecting on and realizing that, yeah, uh, you know, time is maybe the greatest currency, the greatest wealth, and trying to reprioritize a little bit, especially taking a, a, a breath and a step back from the uh, consumption 
and consumerism that is fostered by uh, modern technology, social media, and our, our amazing ability uh, to compare and contrast today and to tr- uh, trip right over into the state of FOMO, which uh, former podcast guest Dr. Ron Sinha, author of The South Asian Health Solution, identifies FOMO as an actual disease with metabolic consequences. So if you find yourself ruminating frequently, uh, the ruminations are uh, triggering depression when you ruminate about the past and anxiety when you ruminate about the future. And if you're one of those people that are uh, caught up in regrets and things that happened in the past or stressing about the future, you are going to have elevation, chronic elevation of stress hormones. This has adverse effects on blood pressure, uh, inflammatory markers in the bloodstream. And Dr. Sinha takes care of extremely high income patients, uh, in large, uh, employee groups in California, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, the, the head, headquarters of tech for the world, they have a median income that's two and a half times the national average, uh, but they report higher levels of health problems uh, because there's so much wealth around them that even someone who's making a fantastic living two and a half times the national average, and of course, the U.S. national average is probably higher than almost any other country or a large country, um, that's not a, it's not a good deal. Uh, how much is enough? All those kind of questions might be good to ask. So, boy, we transition from uh, you know, dietary strategies and having a nice balance point of you know monitoring your hunger and satiety signals rather than being regimented, and then applying that uh, sort of rationale and that uh, intuitive approach to all other areas of life. Okay, nice way to start off. And then we go right into one of my favorite fitness topics, micro-workouts. I don't see the name of who submitted this, uh, but they were just asking me for more details because I'm uh, so excited about it, talking about it too much, uh, cover the benefits. So the reason I think this is the greatest fitness breakthrough of the century, the young century that we're into, is because it makes uh, especially high-intensity training accessible to everyone. Uh, it demystifies it. It de-stresses it because now you don't have to crush yourself to consider yourself a participant in explosive high-intensity efforts, which are so important to health, uh, muscle mass preservation, fat burning, anti-aging. And I think so many people are intimidated that they've just ignored this critical segment of the big picture of fitness. Uh, Cause when you walk by a, an open CrossFit box, when they, when the garage door is open in the warehouse park and you see uh, the, the specimens or you see people that are fitter than you in general doing something, it's very easy to become intimidated and want to shrink back into uh, the stair climber, which you can set for whatever <laughs> degree you want watch your show on CNN, and then go home and proclaim yourself uh, a fit person because you did another workout. And a lot of research is showing that these high-intensity, brief duration high-intensity workouts are vastly more beneficial to overall fitness and health protection with less risk of breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury that comes from a chronic approach to cardiovascular exercise, doing overdoing it on the cardio, going a little bit too hard uh, in, in a repeating pattern of workouts. That's pretty much what we focus on in primal endurance is getting people to slow down and realize that cardio can be developed at 
really low heart rates. So walking frequently can help you become a cardio beast. And then、uh, doing the vast majority of all your exercise time for cardiovascular training at heart rates of 180 minus your age or below. And then、uh, tiptoeing over into that Huge void that missing link in the total fitness package, which is to put your body under、uh, heavy resistance load with very very difficult movements、uh, that are brief and explosive, and this is what stimulates the amazing、uh, anti-aging adaptive hormonal response. You get the burst of testosterone and growth hormone into the bloodstream.、Uh, you feel pumped up, and what you've done is you've challenged your muscles to the extent that it's going to prompt an improvement in organ function, which is going to、uh, contribute to. Longer, healthier lifespan.、Uh, this is a concept called organ reserve. So, when you ask your muscles to、uh, sprint or lift heavy weight and do、uh, big sets of kettlebells or、uh, pulling resistance tubing, whatever you're doing,、it、doesn't have to be a specific, you know, lifting heavy barbells. If that's not your thing, you can、uh, pull the resistance tubing until your muscles go to failure. But when you do a major effort with the muscles, this is what prompts the heart, lungs, kidneys, everything. To work better and needs to be put under that heavy stress to adapt. Same with mitochondria.、Uh, you want to stimulate that all-important mitochondrial biogenesis, and you can do that in a very, very short time with sprinting and other forms of explosive training. And guess what? With the concept of micro workouts, we realize that it doesn't have to be an hour-long suffer fest. And there are. <laughs> There are many ways to、uh, arrive at burnout, and one of them is to do these supposed high-intensity workouts to a manner that's ill-advised, and that's basically what we're seeing, generally speaking, with the、uh, widespread fascination with high-intensity interval training, where you have these、uh, guided classes in the gym, you have personal trainer, you have group exercise out on the roads, and they're putting、uh, the the masses through these workouts that last too long. Uh, the intervals, the work intervals, are too long in duration to be、uh, rendered as or regarded as truly explosive, and a lot of times the rest period is not、uh, lengthy enough、uh, in order to allow for a repeat effort of high quality and high explosiveness. So, if we just imagine, we're, we're telling you to slow down when you're talking about cardio, and then if you just imagine、uh, a high intensity training session that's much much shorter. Then you might perceive to be the norm.、Uh, you know, the CrossFit session lasts for whatever an hour. Some of that's warm up and cool down, but、uh, they're doing explosive effort for、uh, what I what I consider for most people to be too long a duration of time. You don't need to do、uh, seven sets or whatever it is.、Uh, one or two is fine. So it's all about being crisp and explosive, and then stopping the workout before you experience this undesirable. Overproduction or prolonged production of stress hormones. So it's like get in and get out. And here it is, the micro workout. So if you imagine you're sitting at your desk, you take a little break from the screen and drop for a set of 20 deep squats. It's really quite tough. Even if you're in good shape, when you get to number 18, number 19, number 20, you're going to feel a little bit of that that burn, that discomfort in the muscles. You're going to have your respiration rate、uh, way up there. You're going to need to take a little a little break, hold on to something maybe if you're not、uh, not that fit. But in a very short time, you can put your body under sufficient Uh, duress to achieve a wonderful training effect, and so as I've、uh, talked about in those videos, you can search for 
uh, micro workouts at home or office. Uh, here's a pull up bar. It's hanging over my closet. My rule in daily life is if I have to enter, uh, through that doorway to go get another uh, set of post-it notes or put something away or what have you, I do just a single set of pull ups, not even till total failure. So it's just knocking out, let's say 12 pull ups and then going about my busy day. So it's nothing of consequence. I don't have to get out my training journal and write it down with a smiley face or a number of stars. It's not going to bother me if I have a big workout tomorrow that I'm resting for or if I'm trying to recover from a big workout the previous day. It's just a part of being active and uh, into my daily lifestyle to break up prolonged periods of stillness. Same with if you're in the office building or the apartment building and you uh, aspire to take a break every hour, go hustle up two flights of stairs and uh, trot back down and do that once, do that twice, do that three times. What's that going to take you? Um, between one minute and five minutes, this is wonderful stuff. And you'll feel the, the boost of energy alertness uh, as, you're, as you're breathing and your heart rate goes up, and it's not going to uh, adversely impact your day by bringing in fatigue or all these logistics that uh, keep us from uh, doing a sufficient amount of brief explosive training. Uh, so anything goes here. Uh, Dr. Michael Rosine, co-author with Dr. Oz of the best-selling book series, You, the Owner's Manual, he talks about how just simply jumping up and down 20 times in the morning and 20 times in the evening is sufficient to achieve a measurable improvement in bone density as you age. So an anti-aging strategy, jump up and down because it's morning, jump up and down because it's evening. Oh my gosh, so many great ideas. I love my pull-up bar. I love the stretch cords hanging from the pull-up bar where a set of a few of my favorite exercises takes uh, a minute or two and it's really quite tough and it took me a long time to uh, build the competency to go through my little routine. But of course, you can start anywhere with micro-workouts. So many benefits. Let's just hit some bullet points here so I can really get you excited about this uh, This breakthrough fitness strategy. Of course, the first one might be that it's so convenient that you're going to actually do it. You're going to listen to me and say, yeah, I can try something for a minute. I'm not asking you to do a, a new one-hour workout every single day that's going to change your life or what a, a cold therapy, breathing, exposure, meditation, uh, morning routine, gratitude journal. What? Wait, I'm out of time already. Okay, so we're talking about tiny little things, super convenient. However, the cumulative fitness benefit of putting this into your routine is fantastic. If I do a set of 12 pull-ups and I do that just woof, three or four times a week, not counting an actual workout that involves pull-ups, right? But let's say I just do uh, 50 extra pull-ups a week times 52 weeks a year. You can see where this is going. That's 2,500 some extra pull-ups. Same with the uh, hexagonal deadlift bar that I have on the side yard en route to the garbage barrel when I'm throwing away a full bag of garbage from the kitchen and walk out there. Guess what? My rule is I go do a single set. It might, might only be six reps of hexagonal deadlift bar. Uh, there's only 200 pounds on the bar, so I don't have to really build into a warm-up. I'm not going crazy here, but guess what? Six times 200 is 1,200 pounds. If I do that six times a week, that's 374,000 extra pounds lifted in a single year just from throwing the garbage away, quote-unquote. Uh, the other thing that micro-workouts do is that they raise the baseline, they raise the fitness foundation from which you launch all formal workouts. 
Okay, so if you are a CrossFit enthusiast and you're going there the proper uh, frequency of you know a couple few times a week or whatever you're doing, if you're uh, an endurance athlete and you're putting yourself uh, into a different category because you do these uh, brief explosive sessions, these efforts in your daily life, all your other workouts are going to be better. And especially you're going to reduce your injury risk because you're not just someone who sits at a desk, rides a subway and sits on a couch and then tries to go bust out for incredible epic pickup basketball games at lunchtime. No, you're someone who has these micro workouts sprinkled in to your daily life. Uh, The other benefit is that these kind of honor an under the radar strategy toward building fitness uh, because they don't unnecessarily fatigue you. They don't cause uh, recurrent muscle soreness from doing one set of pull-ups, one set of cords, one set of deadlifts. And that uh, reduces the risk that comes with these full-length workouts, these full-duration workouts, like the high-intensity interval training protocol that I described that, of course, can uh, get you fit. But they have such high risk factors because they're so frequently overdone and overstress people and cause them to have setbacks rather than continued progress. So there's no downside risk with this under the radar strategy. Uh, finally, uh, incredibly important too, is that they count toward your quota of engaging in uh, all forms, increasing all forms of general everyday movement. And that is probably the number one genetic disconnect for health is that we're sitting around too much. Uh, experts are now saying that the obligation to move more in general everyday life is more important to your health and longevity than adhering to a devoted fitness regimen. This is known as the active couch potato syndrome. The research is showing that people who have a devoted fitness regimen but otherwise engage in a heavy sedentary lifestyle pattern So it's the person that's up at 6 a.m. cranking out a nice spin class or Peloton session and then jumping on the subway, uh, hanging out in the office, looking at a screen and coming home and sitting on the couch. If you have too much sedentary force in your life, you will still succumb or you still show the same disease risk factors as people who are completely sedentary. So you're not going to be that much better off than your neighbor who uh, shuffles out and picks up the newspaper and walks the dog around the block. Your fitness uh, ambitions are great. They might be getting you fit, but in terms of health and disease prevention benefits, the active couch potato syndrome is something to pay attention to, especially because a lot of fitness enthusiasts tend to give out hall passes to themselves to engage in more sitting around in more laziness because they got up at 6 a.m. and busted out an awesome exercise session. So we want to be cognizant of that number one goal is to move more in all ways in general everyday life. And micro workouts are the bread and butter there. So I favor or strongly recommend uh, these brief bouts of explosive effort. Uh, But of course, uh, the the micro workout can also entail uh, calisthenics or uh, dynamic stretches or something that might not be as badass as uh, throwing the garbage away and uh, putting putting in some uh, some work with the with heavy iron. So try to mix it up and integrate things that especially might be your areas of weakness. So if you are putting in uh, a lot of miles out there on the road and in the water as a triathlete and you're an endurance machine, 
yeah, go get yourself a hexagonal deadlift bar, put a little bit of weight on there and work on your form and work on getting competent. That's something that's going to uh, really benefit your performance in your main area of interest without unduly or adversely affecting it again, because it's a micro workout. I'm not telling you to go be uh, a deadlift superstar with Mark Bell at his super training gym in Sacramento. It's just something that you're sprinkling in that's going to contribute to all your fitness goals. Whew. All right. Go, go to it. No excuses. And since I kind of denigrated the, uh, the improper application of high intensity interval training, I would love to put in a brief plug for, uh, Dr. Craig Marker's wonderful article, uh, called hit versus hurt over at breakingmuscle.com. And hurt stands for high intensity repeat training, which he's advocating for this uh, nuance, this revision to the typical approach to high intensity exercise. And the, uh, the distinction is as follows. As the name suggests, you want to be able to repeat explosive bursts of extremely high quality precise technique, high intensity efforts, whether it's kettlebell swing, whether it's sprints, whether it's uh, repeat sprints on the bicycle. Uh, the whole idea here is to not have a uh, denigration of uh, quality of effort over the course of the workout. And the typical interval session where they're calling for too many intervals that last too long with not enough rest entails that your first, second, and third three-minute sprints on the bike, that's a misnomer when you say sprints for anything longer than 20 seconds, by the way, because the human is incapable of maintaining maximum output really for longer than uh, seven seconds. Then you start slowing down. When you watch the Olympic 100 meters and you say, Bolt dominate and break the world record because he speeds up at the end. It's an illusion. What's actually happening is he is slowing down less than his competitors. He's you know putting out more force and all those great things. Uh, but true, true explosive exercise, the thing that we're most efficient in collectively as fitness enthusiasts, doesn't have to last longer than 20 seconds. And the sweet spot really is 10 to 20 seconds for doing your sprint work. Uh, you can, you can, uh, dabble on the, the low side there if you're a novice or if you're doing high impact running sprints and you can dabble on the high side there if you're doing, uh, low or no impact sprinting such as 20 second sprints on the bicycle. Uh, so that's the sweet spot where you get a lot of, uh, hormonal and cellular stimulation without uh, indulging in the breakdown and cellular destruction that occurs when you try to sprint, when you try to deliver maximum output for longer than 20 seconds. What happens when you exceed that? Imagine yourself uh, sprinting around a running track and the clock is ticking and you go great for the first 10 seconds. You hang in there for 20. The coach is screaming at you to make it all the way for a minute or 45 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever. You are engaging in an accelerated and exponential increase in cellular destruction as you continue to try with your tongue hanging out to keep that maximum output going. So feel explosive hit the time, and then uh, pull the brakes and uh, curtail your efforts uh, when you're in that nice window of 10 to 20 seconds. Uh, if you don't, you're going to feel it later. Uh, you might be pumped up and full of uh, stress hormones and adrenaline on the track, and you can do it, and then you're going to become sore, tired, 
uh, you're going to get the uh, uh, brain fog uh, 24 hours, 36 hours later, because what's happened inside your body, as Dr. Marker describes so nicely in this article, is this process of disassembling and deamination of the cellular proteins to make ATP uh, so quickly to fuel this maximum effort that you're being asked to, you're asking your body to carry on for longer than 20 seconds. And when this disassembling and deamination occurs, oh, the um, the drawbacks, the uh, recovery time is extended. Uh, you experience side effects such as ammonia toxicity in the bloodstream. It's sort of the, um, uh, the, the byproduct of pumping out energy uh, to such an extreme. And that's especially uh, destructive or harmful to brain neurons. And that's why you feel that brain fog in association with extreme uh, high intensity, extreme difficulty, physical efforts. So take a page from uh, the great elite, elite athletes of the planet who train well within themselves at all times in their training sessions. They, you know, you might have seen Rocky or whatever uh, glamorized, glorified athlete, uh, you know, on their hands and knees puking uh, at the side of the road uh, after the tough workout or in the gym. Uh, but this is not really the pattern and the routine and the norm uh, for the elite athlete. So the elite athlete is very finely tuned, very highly conditioned. They can go and deliver some epic workouts if you were to uh, stand there and watch them or watch a runner like Galen Rupp, uh, a great American runner, uh, Olympic silver medalist, or Iliad Kipchoge, the great Kenyan, the greatest marathon runner of all time, if they were to run by you on the street during their routine, comfortably paced training run, you would be astonished at how fast they're running. But that's all relative to their level of effort. It's not too strenuous for them. So in our case, the routine outing might be a jog walk rather than a brisk jog. And when you're sprinting, uh, 10 seconds is plenty, even if you think of yourself as a supremely conditioned individual who can certainly go for 30 seconds. We do that every Tuesday night at the track. Well, let's reconsider this and focus on quality and high-intensity repeat training rather than the commonly abused HIT protocol. And so uh, when you're in this new mindset where you don't uh, have to do uh, 20 uh, efforts, you're only going to do a maximum of 10 is probably fine in most cases. So let's say that we're going to do four to 10 uh, reps of maximum explosive efforts that last between 10 and 20 seconds. Maybe that's on an exercise bike. Maybe that's sprinting at the running track. Uh, maybe that's uh, kettlebell swings, whatever it is. Uh, you're going to focus on maximum intensity and perfect technique because when technique breaks down, that's when your injury risk increases. Um, that's a big uh, widespread concern with CrossFit where in the latter stages of the workout, they're asking you to do these highly technical moves like Olympic lifting when your body is already fatigued and most especially when your brain is already fatigued. That's when you invite risk of injury. So everything you're doing should be really sharp. Uh, you want to feel, I, I quoted Dr. Tudor Bampa in Primal Endurance, uh, this quote where he says, you want to feel, quote, optimally excited and uninhibited uh, as you uh, ponder uh, another uh, maximum effort in a high-intensity workout like a sprint workout. So you want to step back to the starting line uh, when you're doing your fifth one or your fourth one, feeling optimally excited and uninhibited and sharp and crisp and ready to throw down again uh, at the same quality effort as you did on your first one. So when you're getting to number six or number seven or number eight or whatever it is, if you experience any decline 
in performance standard or any decline or any increase in effort to attain a similar performance standard, that's when you know you've hit that deflection point on the graph of how the workout is going to benefit you. So if you, if it's harder to continue to arrive to the finish line at 13 seconds, uh, or if you uh, kind of, um, it goes start going slower and start coming in at 14 or 15 or 16 seconds. That's when you've had a great workout and you can wrap it up. And especially if you experience any breakdown in crisp and precise technique, that's another indication that you're done, that your injury risk is increasing exponentially and the benefits of the workout are decreasing. Okay. What's a big key to making this happen? At your workouts? That's right. To quote Dr. Marker, you want to take luxurious rest intervals, luxurious rest intervals to return to the starting line, to return your hand to the kettlebell for the next set, uh, feeling optimally excited and uninhibited. So, uh, for some reason, we've been programmed to think that we want to be uh, tough guys and gals and hit these arbitrary interval times. And this uh, represents a great workout. One of my favorite workouts uh, when we were triathletes and we'd get into a big group and we do a centerpiece workout on this lengthy uphill trail. And the workout was six times three minutes uh, with 30 second rest period in between the three minutes. And the three minutes were pretty darn hard, especially because it was an uphill trail. And boy, uh, we would be high-fiving at the end of that set because it was really tough. And, you know, the fourth and the fifth and the sixth time where you have to pump it out for 30 seconds at race pace, it was probably faster than we were supposed to go. We were supposed to go at anaerobic threshold pace, but we were probably going, you know, for a very quick three minutes, uh, very high heart rate, and then only 30 seconds recovery uh, turned it into, it might as well have been a, a race up the hill, right? And let's, let's just, let's just cut the, cut the bullshit and, uh, uh, put a hundred dollar bill at the top and say go. Uh, so uh, these workouts, I would in reflection uh, declare them to be overly stressful and unnecessary to um, to repeat uh, any uh, frequency. Now, uh, the justification for doing a really tough knockdown drag out workout, uh, a super duper extreme CrossFit session like the the, the Murph contest. The Murph is one of the protocols where I, th- I believe it's. Um, you have to do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, uh, 300 squats, and uh, bookend that uh, total with a mile on either side for time. Whew, that's a good one. Well, uh, that's a special occasion. You're not going to be doing that four days a week, right? Because it's uh, pretty grueling. And so when we're training, we want to train in this manner where most of the workouts are minimally stressful. And if we are uh, doing high intensity stuff, it's so short in duration that the workout doesn't blow us apart and require long periods of time to uh, engage in uh, muscle recovery to repair damage or to rebuild our energy because we're uh, exhausted and depleted. So the luxurious rest intervals, the uh, between 4 and 10 reps, and keeping the work efforts between 10 and 20 seconds. Luxurious rest intervals would be uh, at least 5 to 1 in terms of the work effort. So if you're going for 10 seconds, you're going to rest for somewhere around a minute. If you're going for a 20-second sprint, you're going to rest for 2 minutes. 
And if you think that's ridiculous or uh, too long, oh my gosh, uh, the, the the science of uh, elite sprinting dating back to the uh, the great East German runners in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, I'm reading a book right now by Charlie Francis, the late Canadian coach that uh, coached many world champions, Olympic gold medalists. He was uh, quoting times that were so ridiculous uh, where these workouts, they do uh, a set of four times. Hold on, I'll, I'll give you the exact thing. This is a famed East German coach named Hille. Hille's athletes would run four 30-meter sprints with seven minutes rest between the 30-meter sprints. Then they took a 15-minute break, did an 80-meter sprint, took a 20-minute break, then did a 100-meter sprint, then a 25-minute break, and a 100 120-meter sprint, and finally a 35-minute break. They could watch a sitcom in that time, and their final uh, workout item was the 150-meter sprint. So in the in the total workout, they did a 150, a 120, a 100, an 80, and four times 30 meters. So I could knock off that workout in probably 15 minutes uh, with what I would think to be pretty decent rest between each uh, sprint effort. Uh, but these athletes, the, the very best, um, you know, breaking world records realize that to completely replenish ATP in the cell, uh, I believe I've read different quotes that it takes five to seven minutes to replenish ATP. So if you do something like a 10 second all out kettlebell swing or 20 second kettlebell swing or 20 second sprint on the running track, uh, to completely replenish the ATP that was fueled, that was the primary fuel source for that short a duration and that explosive of an effort would take quite a few minutes to the extent where, uh, this workout that you're trying to knock out before you head off to your busy day, uh, should technically require, I don't know, add up the times I just quoted. The athletes are on the track for a few hours there just to knock out a few extremely high quality intervals. And that was, um, what Charlie Francis argued was the credit to their success that these athletes are training explosively, so explosively at these workouts that they're ready to run at world record pace when they compete. So pretty cool concept to, um, to embrace this idea of luxurious rest intervals. And boy, it's been uh, life changing for me because uh, I always uh, went to these sprint sessions, probably in the back of my mind, harboring that endurance athlete mindset where, hey, I'm a tough guy. I have a lot of uh, natural endurance base, so I don't need to recover that much. I can step up and perform another sprint uh, and just, you know, mind over matter, uh, toe the line and push myself again. And everything felt great during the workout. But it was in the aftermath when I'd reflect back and realize, hey, why is it that 36 hours after these great sprint workouts that I do, I feel like crashing on the ground and taking a nap that's way too deep and sort of a dysfunctional nap that I screwed something up on the other end. Or why would my calves be so sore that I'd have to hobble and tiptoe around for two days after what I declared to be a really awesome and highly productive sprint workout. And part of that was uh, sprinting for too long a duration. So I cut my sprints back from uh, doing a lot of 200s and 100s to doing doing uh, 80 meter sprints that were really explosive, really high quality throughout. Every single one was as good as the first one. If I did a, a typical set of eight, uh, six to eight, and I would have long rest periods of time in between and I'd go home, I'd leave the track and still do. This is my template sprint workout, um, feeling uh, light on my feet, energetic, knowing that I'm going to be able to return there 
uh, in a relatively short time versus the old days where I would sprint and it would take me, uh, you know, 10 days before I even wanted to think about another sprint workout. Now I pretty much cut that in half where I'm doing um, sprinting and high jumping workouts. Uh, probably the emphasis, I should say, uh, mostly a jump oriented workout and then knocking out those six times 80 meter sprints, uh, typically at the end. And it's, it's a pretty tough session, but I'm probably doing it uh, at a rate of once every five days rather than once every 10 days because of the extra rest interval and the ability to continually build upon my fitness over time without that breakdown and without that extreme uh, energy requirement toward recovery because the workout was too stressful. <sighs> How's all that sound, people? There were some three pretty fantastic topics. The intuitive approach to eating, uh, the benefits of micro-workouts, and then the distinction between hit and hurt and the properly conducted high-intensity repeat training session. I hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to hearing your feedback and more questions, comments, so we can make some more good shows. Uh, just send me an email, brad at bradkearns.com. This is your host, signing off. Thank you for listening. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30-month, or adding to your Primal-approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like kicky chipotle lime, creamy classic, zesty garlic aioli, or savory pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sautéing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.